0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by The Letter H. Aww, thanks Letter H, you're my favorite letter. Let's start the show. Welcome to The Pestle, today's show is brought to you by Papa Song. Burgers made by the cheapest meat in town, Papa Song's E-I-E-I-O. Welcome to the Pestle. I am Wes, and I am Todd, and that is a super obscure reference yeah. that I don't expect anyone to get, but I'm okay with that. Not even me. What, well, now you have to tell us what it is. Ooh. No, or do we have to? Google no. Yeah, yeah. When you know, you know. I don't know what that's from, but it's from when something. When you know, you know. You know. So yeah, what the heck is that? Dang it! That's so when eat you know, away. you know. You uh, know. It's like a. Is it
1: just a thing? No, I think it's a song. Oh, uh, cool. You know, I'm pretty sure it's like a 80s rap song or something.
0: So Todd we we have a pes- we have a podcast that we do every what? week. What? Yeah. It's crazy. What is this podcast you speak of? And so last week I was really just surprised by, you know, I went to the Maggie Rogers concert yeah. and was really just uh, impacted by that. And it also and so we had a great conversation about that, you know, before as a preamble, but it also made me wonder like because i was asking about your your music habits now as not just as an ex musician but as an artist in general but now i'm kind of curious like what podcasts do you listen to do you oh, have a uh, do you yeah. really listen to podcasts
1: yeah sure uh, i listen to uh, well uh, specifically to um, lance armstrong has a couple no has, way yeah yeah one called the move which is going on right now it's about the tour de france and then his other main one is called forward What's that about? It's it's just, it's like... On his life? Yeah, not just his life, but like he goes and interviews random people, you know, random like people that are really good at what they do, like the best at what they do, whatever that might be. So like Alex, Alex Honnold has been on there. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, just, you know, different people. It's just him and one other like really good. So,
0: person, so on release day, is that one that you're looking forward to every week there? You're like, oh, oh yeah. 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 Just when is 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 this? yeah. And Re- he's been doing it for years. So. refreshing and refreshing like, is, is he <laughs> here yet? Um,
1: I mean, no, no, not, 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 like, not quite to that okay. point, but you know, I mean, yeah, for me it's mostly cause like Lance is like this weird, I have this weird draw to him and it's, it is really weird because I'm, pissed at him too. Sure. Like, you know, like it's, you just love to hate all of America and half the rest of the world. Right. Right. You know, and, but I just still have this like weird forgiveness Hmm. for him. I mean, uh, and that's a whole different conversation as to why that is, but he's just a fascinating person to listen to too. And he asks really cool questions because, you know, being an amazing uh, athlete himself, like you you've been asked a million questions so you know what's annoying hmm. and what's not, or like what yeah. question, like, you know, you know, a question that's going to lead to another question that's going to get to an answer of something that, that like people wouldn't normally.
0: Yeah. That's a to, great you know? point. Cause as an athlete interviewing another athlete, the last thing you want is to have them kick into uh, this kind of rote mode where they're just giving stock answers. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's the one. What about you?
0: Interesting. I, good question. Yeah. I mean, I have a, a bevy of them. Like, one jury puts out a lot of great ones. Mm, yeah, they recently yeah. did a Inside Star Wars about discuss the making of Star Wars. Oh, wow. And they did another one for uh, Inside Jaws where they talk about Steven Spielberg, how he came up and got... That made and so, as a filmmaker i 'm listening to these things, and just like yeah, it's, yeah. for me it 's spinach i 'm popeye like, and i 'm like oh yeah let's go <laughs> do this uh, but then every Monday, my favorite honestly of the week, is uh, the reason uh, podcast it 's a libertarian podcast, and every mm-hmm. Monday they do a, a, a editor's roundtable where they 'll talk about the weekend's issues and um, and it 's always a healthy conversation, which I love, yeah. but the one that i 've just gotten excited about, I have a ton of like the WGA has a podcast, which is fantastic, or not the WGA, uh, the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, um, has a podcast where they have directors interview each other. So it could be something like Christopher Nolan interviewing uh, Darren Aronofsky. What? I don't know that they have that specific episode. I but was like, I would, why have you not sent this to me? Yeah, I would have all the words on my wall. <laughs> but, oh, my God. But stuff like that, but similar stuff for sure. And after a certain point, I got... I don't know, not burned out per se, but I started dreading listening to them for whatever reason. I couldn't tell you why. Um, But I think part of it is just information overload because doing this every week and doing my own analysis and then sitting down for more analysis, it just started to wear on me. But I came across a new one that's analytical just from a writing standpoint. It's called uh, Script Notes. And I happened to listen to one episode which... I had no idea how professional these two guys are. Like, they are pros, pros. Uh, one of them just uh, debuted Chernobyl on HBO. He, like, he was a showrunner and writer. Um, he wrote Chernobyl? Yeah. Holy crap. And that's a fantastic series. And it so is. I... He also did a podcast for as a uh, kind of accompaniment to the the miniseries, which it's the best miniseries since the night of, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, oh, you watched it? Chernobyl? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Are you kidding? phenomenal. No, we hadn't talked about that yet. It's amazing. Holy crap. Okay. Yes. Um, and so I was listening to the podcast about, have you listened to their podcast version? No. Because they go into details that aren't in the... Uh,
1: oh my God, dude, I've been obsessed about, not just about Chernobyl, the real Chernobyl since yeah. then, and it, when, what nuclear power is and how it's...
0: You have to listen to this podcast because okay. he goes on very specifically about what was real. And most of the stuff that turns out to be this actually happened was gonna be like, no way. And sometimes it's actually worse than what they put in the, the oh show. Oh
1: my God, how could it be
0: worse? Yeah. And then he also talks about, you know, just the process of creating it. And it's a really interesting podcast. And somewhere along the way, he he drops that. He has another podcast, you know, Script Notes. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. And he has an episode where he discusses writing Chernobyl and his writing process. And a lot of his thoughts really echo like my feelings about it because everyone talks plot, plot, plot. No one talks about character and theme. You know, those are the things that I just really love and find, you know, great significance in. And those are the things that usually stick with people. And so most of his uh, hour long, how to write a movie podcast episode uh, on script notes was about theme and he looks at it differently which was even more exciting whenever not only someone's thinking you know along the same lines but they have a completely different version of it that's like fuel man that just wow. got me amped up and show notes put it show in the show notes. notes yeah you check the show notes i'll link y'all up this is really good stuff so him and his co-writer are just going back and forth over some really amazing tidbits his co-writer it wrote the new aladdin Oh, Uh, wow. Okay, which I haven't seen. I haven't either. Um, We should go. Yeah, we should. I'm more than happy to check it out now. Okay. What's funny to me about this, and this will be the last thing, and then we can get on with business, um, but I just think it's funny because the first mentors I had, quote-unquote, was uh, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, who had a website, um, wordplay.com. I don't even know if it's still up, but they wrote the first Aladdin. And so now I'm getting in tune with these new, you know, podcasters and cool. the new one wrote the new Aladdin. so I'm like that's, oh, awesome. that's fun. What a good connection there. Yeah, it's pretty fun.
1: Yeah, I I I'm excited about seeing that. And I still I haven't seen Dumbo either, but I'm excited about seeing that too. I don't have and I'm excited about seeing Lion King. Like I don't have any problem with
0: redoing all of these things. Like I have ishy problems like on the one yeah. hand, you know, make whatever you want. There's exciting things about to be found in all those things. I just get frustrated when you just kind of exploit the same material and you don't find new ways to explore it like beauty and the Mm -hmm. beast to me was really a travesty because they almost did a shot for shot remake of the cartoon and mm. like, that's just a cash grab. Mm-hmm. You explore it a little yeah, bit more, yeah. bring something new to the table. Totally.
1: I mean, you're using real
0: people, so yeah. you should do that. And it, from the looks of it, Mulan looks like a completely different take from the cartoon. Oh, I didn't know they were doing Mulan. Yeah. They just released a trailer for it like oh, wow. a few days ago. And oh, there's a, there's that a trailer. Looks fantastic. Yeah. I am. Dude, that, okay. That. So
1: that's a, that's an interesting st- One, because it's like based on a true story and like Mm -hmm. to have real people and shot in like a real, I'm hoping a little bit more moody kind of style because that that story (laughs) needs mood. Yeah, it's so serious. um, That actually seems really cool. That's pretty exciting. Have you heard all the hubbub about the... um, they're casting for Ariel. for Ariel. Yeah, that's like, exciting. Like, yeah, it's gonna bring out all the racists, right. <laughs> like, 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 do you have a racist in your in your family? Well, show them the new Ariel, right. and you'll find
0: out real quick. Like, I, I just never understand the the hubbub. It's a movie. Like, can I we, mean, can we have different people play things? Can we not yeah. have new things? Yeah, <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: uh, oh, okay. Anyway, what are we doing today? Do, uh, we are going to do Arrival. We're going to talk about Arrival oh, today, which I'm very, very excited about. Uh, so, spoiler alert: if you have not seen Arrival, uh, please pause this and go uh, go watch it. I don't believe it is streaming anywhere. You have to rent it, but it's like you know three or four bucks or something. You can rent it anywhere, really. I mean, West doesn't rent; West buys. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, pause this, go watch
0: it, come back and, and take a listen. We're going to spoil everything. Yep, we'll talk about cinematography quite a bit, actually. Uh, uh, including, like, the color. I thought color was kind of interesting. I don't have, like, this amazing take on it, but I just thought some of the things they were doing uh, was interesting and actually have a question for you somewhere along the way in that regard. Um, and we'll obviously dive into the story and many other things and such things and stuff. All right.
1: So a synopsis of the film. A linguist works with the military to communicate with alien life forms after 12 mysterious spacecraft appear around the world. Directed by, by Hes- Hes- nice. yep. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Dennis Villeneuve, screenplay by Eric Heisserer. Nice. Heisserer? Yep. Directed by Dennis Villeneuve, screenplay by Eric Heisserer. Based in the story by Ted Chang. Cinematography by Bradford Young and featuring Amy Adams as Louise, Jeremy Renner as Ian, Forrest Whitaker as Colonel Weber, and Michael Chulbarg as Agent Halpern. Yeah, so that we can learn their names if they have names and then introduce pronouns later.
0: These are all grade school words eat, lock.
1: Help me understand. Okay. Um... Oh, Oh, no, 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 not the top. Okay, this is where you want to get to, right? Here's the question. Okay. So, first, we need to make sure that they understand what a question is. Okay. The nature of a request for information along with the response. Then, we need to clarify the difference between a specific you and a collective you. Because mm, we don't want to know why Joe Alien is here. We want to know why they all landed. And purpose requires an understanding of intent We need to find out Do they make conscious choices Or is their motivation so instinctive That they don't understand a why question at all And, and biggest of all We need to have enough vocabulary with them That we understand
0: their answer Forget it Stick to your list Just Don't add anything to it I love Colonel Weber as yeah, like yeah. the the dummy, and it's so perfectly written because he is a military guy and he thinks in uh, strategy in another way. He thinks in terms of tactics. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's perfect for have, to have him being the one that you need to explain this to me because he's also like the reason she's there. He's her superior um, on all these matters. And so every time he's needing an explanation, we, the audience, get to learn why we're doing what we're doing. And so it's like the perfect way to to do exposition without being condescending to us, the audience. And she also does a good job of never being condescending to him. She respects him as a as a person on the team and respects him for needing to be involved in the process. Mm. Um, and that's kind of a tricky line to walk, man, because uh, whenever you know so much more and you have such a more evolved understanding of what's happening and what's at stake, it would be very tempting to just be, be like, you know, shut up and let me do my job and to write that kind of stuff. And even to play that, that part that way. Um, but she, Amy Adams plays Louise with, you know, just, so much subtlety, and I'm yeah. I don't know. I'm always impressed with Amy Adams, though. Uh, I mean, J- Jeremy Renner's great. Don't get me wrong, but ever since Junebug, I've been on the Amy Adams uh, fan bus. Like, totally she, agree. She's amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I like I like his character. To, you know, he's he's one of those guys. I think he can play a lot of different things and and sell it. You know, but I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to pay $13 to go see a movie because of him. Yeah, yeah but, it, but I'm not taking anything away from Jeremy mm-hmm. Renner. Like, and he was great in this film. Like, I I really liked the casting of him. Um, I think mostly because he didn't overshadow anybody. True. You know, he was just he was there um, playing his role, and his role was to be almost inconspicuous because of the end. That's such a smart thing. You know, yeah. To, you don't cast somebody like. The Rock. which right. <laughs> should just make this movie very different. Um, no, but seriously, you know, you don't cast like Brad Pitt mm-hmm. in that role, you know, who would, you just like staring at Brad Pitt all day, you yeah. know,
0: like, like, well, where's Brad? He's not here yet. Yeah. I mean, and whatever. then you, in that expectation begins of he plays a much more significant role than we're seeing right now. Yeah. And so, yeah, he is the perfect Casting choice, and you know, he plays it to perfection Um, because he's also very smart every time he's talking. uh, He's really smart, but he's also almost (laughs) never smarter than her. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah,
1: right. They don't let him be, he's a really smart guy, but they don't really like explore that. No, they don't let him really, you know, let you know.
0: Because I love that, you know, whenever they first meet, the first thing that they do is. You know, a linguist, he quotes her, you know, a linguist thinks language is the cornerstone of society. And of course, a scientist thinks that it's science. science. Everyone's stuck in their own worldview. Yeah. And so this movie seems to be a little bit about expanding your worldview. Um, And of course, the only way to really do that is through uh, good communication. So her point, I think, kind of gets proved along the way. But yeah, so... I assume you saw this when it came out in theaters. I don't remember if we saw it together or not. I don't know maybe probably but how was it watching it now? I mean, what's your general feeling on this i okay so the the first time i was, i saw i i mean anything with aliens, I'm like, yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. You know, sign me up. <laughs> um
1: especially if it's well done uh like this is, but I left kind of like what, what year did this come out uh 16, 2016. 2016. really yeah oh man crazy i felt like it's forever ago for whatever reason like it kind of like i saw it and i loved it and then my view of it kind of went down Hmm. right over the last couple years yeah and and so when we were talking about doing it i thought oh okay sure why not um but literally from the opening shot the opening shot, I said, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> this is going to be real good. I, I was almost in tears in this first scene, the first set of scenes with the her having the baby and the baby growing up and, and everything. It just ripped me apart immediately. And I thought, oh, yeah. I, I thought, okay, maybe the reason why I kind of, you know, my view of it kind of like declined was because I forgot really what it was about. You know, it's, it's a sci-fi movie, but it's not a sci-fi movie. And so it's over time. I just kind of forgot that. And so I was thinking, yeah, okay, we get to watch another sci-fi movie. And then I realized, remembered, oh, this is about so much more than that. It's about communication. It's about time with people that you love. It's about like making the choice, even though you, you know, an outcome, you know, still doing it anyway, because, you know, you're going to have love for a set amount of time, you know, like, so I fucking loved it. I just was, like, so happy that that I got to experience that again, and my wife got to watch it with me. Oh. And, and, I mean, she's a hard sell on anything sci-fi. She's, like, totally opposite for me, where I'm an easy sell. And so she had some questions, you know, about it, and she wasn't really, like, totally crazy about it. But just being in the room with her and uh-huh. watching it, which, you know, like... We don't always watch a whole lot of movies together. So it was a really wonderful experience, and I I totally, totally love it. I mean, I'm trying to think of anything that I would do different, and there's not a whole lot. So, I, I mean, I'd give it a nine and a half, you know, nine. Badass. Yeah, it's, it's just
0: amazing. Yeah, it's funny because I watched it in theater, and then I didn't watch it again until like a month ago. And up until I rewatched it that second time, I felt like I'd seen it a dozen times because for me, it just kind of really resonated and stuck in my head. uh, Probably because conceptually, there's so many really interesting, cool ideas and it's a, it's a different take than you usually see in an alien film. It's normally, you know, it's, it's about technology in a different way and it's about uh, either the threat of violence or overtaking them or them overtaking us. And so this was so much more, grounded with let's look at how we would even begin to communicate, um, how we interact with them, all the little nuances that I think about when I think about aliens, because I I do think about how would you first, you know, begin the dialogue. Yeah. What is that first starting block? I don't have any idea and I always have my own ideas, but uh, seeing how they approach it from a linguistic standpoint was just freaking cool. And the way they use the idea of language to influence time itself the way you experience time because you know you begin to understand that she's jumping around in time um and it's not just she remembers these things she's experiencing these things and that and I'll touch on this in a little bit but it changes the way you watch the movie mm-hmm. from the first viewing to the second viewing you're watching it completely differently and that was super exciting because there's only a handful of movies that can accomplish that yeah. with the twist, uh, whatever your twist is at the end. And I would say off the top of my head, none of them make the, the rewatch more enjoyable mm. as opposed to normally if it's this, this crazy twist, you're just looking for the do they have holes along the way or are they fulfilling this? And instead, this is I'm experiencing this a different way yeah, in a similar way that she's experiencing it. Yeah. Uh, and it's just super exciting and so all those things kind of resonated with me a little bit. But the thing that I forgot was the emotional heartbeat and watching it that second time. I was, you know, pretty much in tears watching it, too. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, this really hits you hard. Yeah. And you don't expect it from an alien movie.
1: Yeah. And, it, and the, the Jeremy Renner being the dad twist at yeah. the end isn't like that's not the climax of the film. Like mm-hmm. it almost is an afterthought. They didn't have to, it didn't have to be Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Right. And it still would have been an amazing movie, which is why, which is why it's, it's still watchable, even though, you know, that is there because it's kind of, it's not throwaway, but it's also not like, holy shit. That just like
0: blew yeah. up the whole past hour <laughs> and a half of the movie, you know? Um, <laughs> That's kind of explain, so you know, great yeah. because I literally in my show notes, uh, in my notes, I wrote, you know, the reveal is slow and measured. Um, it's not an explosion or a bang you on the head kind of moment. Like they really take their time to rolling out what's happening because there is this confusion, you know, that we have as a viewer throughout like. Oh, she's remembering her lost daughter and she's holding back this information from a potential love interest or a coworker. We don't really understand how they feel about each other. They do a great job of not making that the center point, but also leaving it up for question. Yeah, because there's a there's an energy there. And I think that's accomplished just by putting them in the same room. You have these two attractive people. They have a shared passion. That alone is kind of kinetic, and so allowing them to do that, we start having these questions, um but they never overplay it, yeah, so that you never feel where it's going to go until uh they're they're kind of just slipping it out like and they do it brilliantly, like the Hannah do you know what's c- great about your name? it's a palindrome, mm. it goes the same backwards and forwards, you spell it the same way, and that's just a little hint at who Hannah is and how she's thinking about it. Uh, Louise is thinking about her name and the way she's thinking. It's a, f- a never ending backwards forwards event. Um, and so it's just this very slow trickle out uh, that they very cleverly kind of just, we're just going to trust the audience, yeah. which is, <laughs> we huge. love, we talk about it every, t- every episode, like
1: trust us it's like we're not stupid. You know, you don't have to spell everything out for us. Heck you know? yeah.
0: And so in every way I was just, super excited about this movie again. That was when I was like, oh, we need to do this. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. So let me dive a little bit into cinematography. I guess the colors kind of struck me in a odd way. I suppose like there's a lot of heavy uh, blue gray throughout the entire movie. And I don't know if it's kind of alluding to some kind of depression or why That's what it felt like. Right. It felt very depressed, pretty desaturated. Even like her clothes are blue gray. Um, which is funny because even her normally Amy Adams is a redhead and even her vibrant red hair is pretty muted and you know pulled back and in the color grade and it's everything outside is usually pretty cloudy and foggy um, even Colonel Weber you know has this kind of blue gray clothing when we first meet him even whenever he gets into his fatigues like it's still fairly <laughs> bluish and so The first color to really jump out, which is what I found interesting, is the orange hazmat suit or whatever their suit is. I'm guessing that's called a hazmat, not my area of expertise. (laughs) If it was called a filter, I would probably be able to tell you about that. (laughs) But it's interesting because it separates her. Now suddenly she's popping out of the background and it's almost a barrier. To becoming, you know, a part of the, the environment. And so it's not until she finally sheds the suit, she's sh- shedding her shield or her barrier, and she reaches out. That's the moment when she reaches out and really starts connecting with uh, Abbott and Costello, our aliens. And then, of course, Ian sheds his suit and joins her. And I love that because it's a motion of good faith. Like, they're demonstrating that, you know, we trust you. And they're also humanizing themselves. Because now there's a little more individuality, first of all, but it's also humanizing the aliens by showing that trust. And that's a funny concept to say, yeah, we're humanizing aliens, but it's in, it's in concept. It's an idea of I respect you as an equal and not as, you know, someone I should be afraid of or someone that I, I'm looking to hurt or destroy like Man. her peers right now. And by shedding her suit, shedding this orange thing, suddenly she's blending back in to the scene again. And now they're all equal visually on a visual standpoint, whereas the soldiers behind them never take their suits off. Mm-hmm. And of course, we see how that plays out. They never chose to be a part. And they're ultimately uh, almost responsible for, like, some kind of intergalactic war. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which I'm guessing we wouldn't have stood a chance in, considering. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> they, they also do a lot of backlighting. Um, I wrote backlighting galore because there's so much backlighting, uh, which means the lighting is coming opposite the camera, you know, a lot of times, and it creates a lot of these silhouettes. So we see the outlines of these characters, not a lot of detail on them. Uh, especially like f- when she first comes home and, or when she's in the, uh, the room with the aliens, not in the room, but in the outer room and, We're looking down these hallways, all the lighting is creating these shadows and these silhouettes um, going into the camera. And I don't know what they're trying to say about this. Not a lot of internal lighting. All the lighting seems to be uh, on the outside and seems to be drawing our attention to the outdoors. And you know, also to our characters, because now we're focused on their silhouettes. We don't really care about what's in our house, and so we're always kind of focused on what's out there, what's on the other side. Which is a great perspective in sci-fi when you're dealing with aliens. We want to be thinking what's out there, Um, and it seems like they were trying to accomplish some form of that with just the uh, the lighting in and of itself. Looking where's the lighting coming from? Because it's never coming from us, well, very rarely. And I'll touch on the, oh the other first because the only other orange lit scene turns out to be a dream that's that really funky dream where she's having this conversation with ian and ian like are you having weird dreams and she's like yeah and then she turns to her other side and she's like but i don't think this is going to affect my ability to do my work and you get this close-up of an alien right there in the room with her and you're just like what is happening and then she wakes up but that scene starts out orange, and so it 's different it 's very different from every other scene we've we 've seen her in and now suddenly that turns to be oh it 's because this isn 't part of the real world, so that was just kind of a convenient way to to kind of emphasize this is a dream this isn 't real. The other interesting thing helmet lighting is always difficult, like we we talked about this last episode a oh, little yeah, bit right um, and in this one it 's a little bit different because. They have these visors on. And so that's always tricky because visors cast reflections. And so when you're shooting that, how do you avoid getting a reflection of the camera team and the camera itself? And uh, that can be uh, tricking. Uh, But I don't know exactly how they did it, but I assume those are real visors. We've seen in previous movies that sometimes they'll just CG the entire visor. Which can be, you know, oh my god, super effective, but yeah, painstaking as hell. But I think for one, backlighting helps because if the light is coming from a direction that isn't behind the camera, then you're not going to get that reflection as hard. But it also helps when you're lighting within the helmet. Mm-hmm. For one, now you can see their faces nice and clear, but it also prevents a glare from getting onto. The, the visor itself just imagine you know you're inside and someone uh, is on the outside looking at you if you have your light on you're not going to be able to see them as well whereas uh, if you turn your light off suddenly you know you, you have a much clearer look yeah. out the window right yeah. it's just very simple lighting dynamics but i assume they also probably threw a, a lens filter to further reduce light, ref, like glare on reflection on the visor yeah. itself yeah or on the uh the, the camera lens itself oh okay and Whenever you're talking about a Denny movie, dude, I love this guy. Yeah. He has a very specific style, and a lot of it comes through his slow, creeping shots. And it's it's foreboding. It's like this existential dread. Depending on the film, he uses it to great effect in a variety of ways. But it's always this kind of build up, and it's subtle, and it's not over the top. It's not Michael Bay. It's like the anti-Michael Bay way of doing things. And I love it because it creates emphasis on story and characters, not on the filmmaker. This isn't about my cool tricks. This is about what you're looking at and what you're experiencing in the story. And it's just this great way to let us see everything because it usually goes really wide on these shots. And so you get a really good view of everything you're seeing. And then he just sometimes, man, he'll just sit there for like yeah. thirty, forty seconds, and then start creeping in. And and I don't know if you notice this, but when we first get to the
1: the spacecraft, right? We're it's a it's a drone shot following mm-hmm. the helicopter. Yeah, it is a long ass shot. It's like a almost a minute long, and. And it's almost like unnoticeable because you're just like in awe of this place where the 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 uh, clouds are spilling over the mountain into the valley, and you have the the army base down in the valley. And so the 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 drone kind of like follows the helicopter. The helicopter turns, it slowly turns, and it slowly lands. And then we stay there, hovering and moving just a little bit, like we're just hanging there for a good minute or so. I'm like, I, I was thinking. I'm not ready to cut away cause this is so damn beautiful, but let's cut. Away. Okay. When are we cutting away? You know, like, yeah, th- he's not afraid to like hang on shots.
0: He's really not. And it creates the, the kind of storytelling pacing that he wants. Yeah. Because if he, if he rushes those things and then the story goes slow, then you feel frustrated as a, a viewer, right? You're, you're rhythmic. You're in a different rhythm than the movies in. Um, and so, Making the even the opening shot is this this really long tilt shot of her Mm -hmm. window, and we echo it at the very end of the movie the same exact shot, and it's getting us on his timing. (laughs) Yeah. Now we're on Denny's clock, you know, it's just this really slow push and God, if he isn't a master at it, I've been drawn into it since enemy. Um, Oh my God. You know, he just always has this really measured paced way of uh, telling you his story. And the important part is he has a story to tell you. Yeah. Unlike too many filmmakers are settling for gimmicks and tricks. And what they're really saying is I don't have anything interesting to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. And so, he also has this great use of a vertigo shot when Ian lands on the ship, which I thought was interesting. I don't know what it says, but whenever she lands on the ship, when they ride up that what elevator thing. The lift. Yeah, the lift. And she's struggling, and then the colonel grabs her, and they jump together. And then finally Ian jumps, and he just busts his face open. But when he stands up, suddenly we go into this vertigo shot, which is that that's that shot that... Feels like you're not moving, and you are at the same time. Right, the scene is kind of stretching oh, yeah. or squishing while you're still looking at relatively the same thing. It's just a very strange shot. And How do they pull that off? Do you like zoom as you pull back, or yeah. you pull back as you, or you roll in as you zoom in out. I don't exactly. Know. So imagine if uh, you have a, a a medium shot of someone. You know, you're framing them from at the bottom of the frame. You have the bottom of their chest. And at the top of the frame, you have the top of their head. Well, you're gonna keep them relatively in that same exact position. And then you have a zoom lens and like you just said, you put the zoom on a dolly and then you, while you're pushing the dolly in, you're zooming out so that you can keep that subject in the same frame. Meanwhile, everything around him is changing uh, compression. So the back is getting squishier, or if you're doing a, a dolly out, then the the back is going to get you know tighter. And I mean, there's all these weird things that are happening, and it's a really effective way because it's dizzying and it's disorienting for us the viewer, and it really helps convey what the character is feeling in a more empathetic way. And so it's just a smart way to kind of dial us in. This is trippy. They're now walking vertically whereas, you know, this isn't how they entered. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so, we're getting a really good idea of how they feel and that's ultimately what you always want is to probably feel what your character is feeling. Yeah. The thing that stands apart on this film is his use of the uh, the future memories. They have a very different styling and it's different from anything he, he that I've seen him shoot before. I haven't seen all his movies to be honest, but the ones that I have seen I haven't I don't think I've seen him do this where he's going super shallow. He doesn't shoot very shallow all that often um in my opinion. And it's also handheld and he's also doing a lot of close-ups. And so everything in these future memories with the daughter and that whole storyline is very personal. It's very intimate and it's very organic because of the cameras moving around. Whereas by contrast, normally he's on a dolly or he's on a tripod. Uh, now we're going handheld. And so there's a little bit more life in the camera movement and it feels more analog to her and what she's thinking and feeling. And so he's doing that just by switching up the style. And it's also important to, to use that difference to communicate that this is a different time. And so, as an audience, we never get confused about, oh, is this happening right now? No, there's a thousand ways you can understand that this isn't happening right now. I think the shallow depth of field does that that on
1: its really, own really well. Yeah, like it's it, because he's it's not shallow anywhere else, and so you're you kind of have this grand scope of the present, and then when it's really shallow and you really only your eye is always going to focus on the thing that's in focus, right? So if the only thing that's in focus is right there in the middle or, or like is right in front of you, then it, the whole world is fuzzy, right? So the whole world is only the thing that's in focus. And so that, I mean, I imagine that's the way I felt.
0: And so you, by extension of that logic, her whole world, her whole world is -hmm. her daughter. is her daughter. Yeah. And that's, I mean, great then, yeah. filmmaking. Yeah, that's why awesome. you do these things. Yeah. And also love, you know, during those future memories that they are carefully editing out the father in these memories, mm-hmm. which is obviously to conceal his identity in the ultimate twist that this isn't a past event. This is a future event. And it's interesting that after shedding her suit, she gets her first future glimpse, her future memory. And that's telling of, especially the second time you watch it, because like we were saying earlier, The coolest thing about this whole experience is we get to experience it differently in almost the same way that she's experiencing it. Because now we know the future, and every time she gets a memory, we're imagining where the movie ends. And so we're thinking in this circular pattern as well, which is the whole point of their language and the way they think is they don't think in terms of, the immediate they think in terms of how this begins and how it ends and everything in between and so when she's getting these memories we're understanding that she's experiencing these moments in a different way and that's man that's I'm just so blown away with that experience of watching it the second time and I wish I would have seen it in theaters the second time just Mm to you know be in that environment again Yeah, freaking amazing yeah so I mean visual effects we've talked about this a number of times the The ship itself is metal, uh, which seems to be easier to render accurately with lighting and color. It's just easier to model because we can model metals. You know mm-hmm. that's a known quantity, and it's also it's an e- easy shape. Yeah, it's an easy shape. You know what? And this is me going out on a stretch here, so bear with me. But what? So I'll ask you first. What do you think it looks? Does it look like anything to you? A suppository. <laughs> It looks like an egg. Oh, yeah, that probably makes a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what? What is? I'm sticking with mine. Yours is probably more accurate. I don't know, but to me, it actually looks like a lung. Oh, yeah. And whenever I think about communication and language, you know, and all the other imagery of the clouds and the fog, it feels like, you know, it's a lung and that they're they're communicating and they're speaking to us on every fundamental level, even including the shape of their ship. But that's a bit of a stretch. It could also very well, you know, be an egg. And this is a new thing that uh, they're creating. And yeah. Anyway. Uh, (laughs) I like it. So... story diving into the story a little bit and this will be fast they waste it it really won't because i have a question for you coming up i've got you. (laughs) so they really waste no time introducing the spaceships um which is great they start they they hit us over the head with the daughter and then it feels like a time lapse like and now she's moved on with her life and now she's all alone she's all by herself she's teaching and then boom spaceships she gets right in the class and Turns on the TV. But they spend a lot of time grounding us. And that was an impressive thing. And it's always the case with him, I think. But like you talked about earlier, they they showed us that establishing shot of the, the military camp for a hot minute. There's that slow aerial introduction, the establishing shot. Then they established another shot of them walking through the camp. They... Do the medical checkup to kind of say, oh, this is the process. And so they're kind of regimenting us a little bit in their new life now. They walk through all the tents. They're really taking their time to see the new military world and how they fit in. And also love after the news, everything has this light air of kind of calm chaos It's really crazy whenever she's leaving uh the campus and it's so simple the the parking lot fender bender right the car backs out and gets hit that's minor it's not like someone died and they flipped the car but it's a small break from societal peace and i i remember going out to uh, lunch one time with our friend joanna and someone had uh, dropped the glass and it broke and everything went quiet for a second i remember making this comment and they kind of looked at me like a moron but i was like isn't that interesting how just a simple glass breaking i mean it's like a 30 cent class and it broke and it kind of changed the tone of everything even if only for a minute and it's like we we respond to things breaking into uh little little moments like that and i just found it really interesting how 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 easy it can be to disturb everyone around us even though it's a loud ass restaurant all these things are happening but a glass breaking cuts through all the noise and uh, kind of affects us on this weird fundamental level and i love the use of just a fender bender it's kind of tiptoeing around the idea that people are trying to keep it together but they're scared you know yeah poopless scared of change yeah yeah and so what happens after that i find really interesting so right she goes home Um, She watches more TV. She talks to her mom, all grounding, grounding, grounding her life. And then she goes back to work. She goes back to the campus and there's no students and there's no faculty. What does this say about her? What does this say about the world? And that's my question to you. And I have only a couple more notes on here, but what do you think that says anything? I don't I didn't really have an answer to it. I'm not like baiting you or anything. Like, <laughs> So when I in watching it again, because it had been a couple
1: of years, I, I forgot everything. Yeah. I remember. So that after I'm leading up to your answer, but after her, they show her daughter dying, then it cuts to her wa- walking into the, into campus, like into that building up the stairs. Right. And my first thought was, man, she doesn't look any older. You know, her, her daughter was like, I don't know, a teenager when she died. And I was like, man, she looks, I wonder if that's on purpose. I don't know. I did, I totally didn't remember. Interesting. Um, so when she goes back and there's nobody there, my thought was that's what I would do because I don't have anything else in my life. Oh, wow. Yes. So, so, you know, like, that's so it totally made sense from a first viewing perspective Right yeah because like what else has she got? You know, I mean we've established that her that the husband left, we've established that her daughter died, or i don 't know if we established the husband, husband left, but we never saw the husband, so we right. just assumed there was no he was, husband. Out of the picture. He was out of the picture, um, but that she died, and honestly, if i i I would throw myself into something too, or if I hadn't killed myself, I would throw myself into something, so that's what I would do, it made sense now, from a second viewing point of view maybe similar maybe it's the same reason maybe she just it was at a point where she, her work was everything she had nothing else you know like she didn't have a a mate she didn't have a uh, a child she didn't have friends you know
0: and it's interesting that she would be a professor because she's teaching you know effectively kids this is kind of an opportunity I mean, yeah. to be there for uh kids except no one needs her
1: and i think it's also it's also th- if you want to look at it, you know, from artistic point of view, which I guess is our job right now, what we're supposed to do, <laughs> uh, her whole, everything that she has studied her whole life is ba- is communication, right? It's, yeah. it's linguistics, right? Communication. And she's terrible at it. Think about it. Like she's not really like the, like, you know, her students aren't super engaged, right? Only a few of them show up. Uh, she doesn't have any like a whole lot of like any friends that we see. It's a pretty big classroom with not a lot of people. Yeah, and, and like you know when she's talking to the to the um, the colonel, you know the day where nobody's there, and she said she knows who he's going to go see, and she's like like she doesn't like that guy. You know what I mean? Like she's mm-hmm. not friends with her colleagues. Uh-huh. Like it's it's just they paint a picture. She doesn't really talk well to her mother. Like they paint a picture of a. Of a person who is lacking, lacking like, like a connection with other people, right? Yeah. And so, her is, is almost this the movie kind of feels like a story of her learning herself how to communicate from the ground up, right? How to, she has to, she has to like basically build this alphabet, build this language out of whatever they're telling her, you know, they're giving her. And she's having to put it all together. And in that, she learns at the end how to communicate with Jeremy Renner's character. And because of that, they get together, right? Or, or she's able to convey that to him to communicate that to him, that to him at the end with the, the hug and, and everything. So it's, it's, I don't know, it kind of like feels like a journey yeah. from not knowing how to do what you do to
0: learning, like, I guess, you know, how to do it from the ground up. That's such right. a great contrast. Yeah, the fact that she's a communications, you know, yeah, expert, a linguistics expert, and she yeah. doesn't know how to, you know, wield her own weapon, yeah, um, or tool. Weapon. You know, that's a really great way to kind of create a create an arc. And it's so funny because like,
1: uh, we sit here and we say communication, like communication is everything, right? Yeah. you sit there and you say that. But communication is the hardest thing. Yeah. It is, you have a hundred, like anybody listening has a hundred things they want to say to the person sitting next to them that they either never will, or if they do, they're terrified to, to say them.
0: Right. I, I was thinking about that earlier. Just the simple things. I mean, what does Jeremy Renner or uh, Ian say at the end? Like when she asked him, what would you do if you knew the the entire, your entire future? Would you change anything? He says, I would say how I feel more often.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. 100%. And I've I've made that I I literally it's so f- it's funny that we're talking about this right now, man, because I have made that promise to myself in the last couple of days. And it is I feel like already starting to change my life. Like I can't emphasize enough the importance of, and I don't mean just the easy shit, like telling people that you love them, where even though that can be hard, it's really not that hard. Right. Let's be honest. It's the hard shit is telling people when they upset you yeah, because you don't want whatever, for whatever reason, but like there is a lot harder stuff to do. And, and a lot of times maybe you want to say something, but you feel like now's not the right time or you feel like, like oh they'll get upset or if i say if i say something about this then i feel weak or whatever and it's it, scary it's it scary is. to
0: to not know how someone's going to respond yeah and how even how you're going to respond like, totally. Because you have all these internal emotions and the thoughts. And sometimes just saying the thoughts out loud, is like, oh, that was dumb. But other times it's like, man, actually, I feel this 10 times more than I thought I did uh-huh. as I'm kind of releasing, opening this valve up. Totally. You know, all the steam is coming out. And I'm like, I'm trying to control it so that I can have a productive conversation. Yeah. Um, it's all scary and you don't get to control it all. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes we're human beings. Sometimes we're irrational. And the- sometimes we're alien Sometimes we're alien. That's so true. Very.
1: And it's... I mean, think about the brain. The brain is literally the most complex thing in the entire universe. And I think that something like in a square millimeter, there are like 10 trillion different um, uh, synapses or something like that. It's something insane. It's some insane... Like there's more than than the stars in the Milky Way or whatever.
0: And some scientists think, they theorize, that every single one of those tiny neurons... I have the complexity and power of a supercomputer.
1: I, I totally believe it. <laughs> like I it.
0: totally believe it. Yeah, and so so navigating communication with
1: another one that's foreign, yeah. you know, like yeah, that's that's hard. Yeah, it's almost like talking to an alien, learning a whole other language. But you know, the important thing is, is that if you if you do it without fear, right? Like yeah. she does. She does. She is like. I mean, she's in awe, but there's never. I don't really get a whole lot of fear from mm-hmm. her, you know, because of that, she's like the most powerful one in the movie, in the entire movie. You don't ever feel that.
0: From no. Her. And she's so even killed because even her excitement, she tamps down. Yeah. And I kind of relate to that because it seems like she's working really hard to stay even killed to not have highs and not have lows. And that kind of carries through to her work. Like I'm not going to get overly excited, but I'm not going to get overly pessimistic. I'm just here to do the work and it's super exciting, yeah. um, but there's work to do. And I'm also trying to keep a disaster at bay.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's interesting because like, so this story was a, it was a short story first, right. Mm-hmm. And in order, but it was like, it was different. Um, they had to, they they added in the whole, the 12 ships around the world. They added in that whole dynamic, that whole like military dynamic, which I think was like really important to do. Like in the short story, apparently they, there was, they would like lower these screens or something. And so the, the person would interact with the screen instead of the actual alien behind a piece of pane of glass or something. And so they changed that to be, no, there's going to be ships, they're going to be all over the world, and they're going to interact directly with the aliens themselves behind a pane of glass, right? But it's, which made it much more watchable. You know, we're actually seeing the things, you know, um, but we don't see a ton of them, but we see enough to where they're like super interesting and every time something is happening. But there's also, there's 11 others that we never see. Right. Yeah. So like we're in the dark about the others, just like they're in the dark about what China's doing and, and all that stuff. And so we feel that tension because we never see inside those ships. You know,
0: that's such a good point because they have this great grid up yeah. of all these other countries. Yeah. And then whenever those lights, those start to, to turn off those TVs, those monitors go out, we feel disconnected suddenly. Yeah. And that's great tension. Yeah. Because, yeah, what's going to happen now? Are we going to go to war with each other? Are they getting a weapon that we don't have? But it, more than anything, I think we're all rooting for, no, 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 we need to cooperate. And that's a really cool place to be as an audience is rooting for characters to connect and discuss and be rational. Because normally in an alien film, what, you, you kind of want to see the, the alien get out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This but case, it's not even about that, right? It's really not at all. Yeah. Going back to the name, right? Hannah's a palindrome. So I think they realize there's power in names. Hmm. And I don't know that I have a fantastic take on this, but I felt like they were saying something very subtle in the rest of the naming conventions. Um, So Louise, her last name is Banks. Ian Donnelly. um, Then you have Abbott, Costello, and then Colonel Weber. Now what I found interesting about their names was if you look at just The first letter of the last names, you have A, B, C, D, Abbott, Banks, Costello, Donnelly. And it's human uh, or uh, alien, human, alien, human. And so they're they're all kind of together at the very beginning of the alphabet. Whereas you have Colonel Weber, who's way at the other end of the alphabet. And it's like they're trying to say that these guys are on the opposite ends of not just the alphabet, but maybe ideology and understanding and uh, connection. And so they're sharing something on their side that he's not connecting with on his side. And I think they're just very, I mean, super, super, you know, nerdy writery in a way, yeah. uh, demonstrating that just through the naming convention. But I always kind of get excited when someone's trying to communicate something deeper, uh, even through something as simple as your names. Yeah, And that's fun to me. The other fun thing about this movie uh, is what we don't get to see, which is is 3,000 years from now. What's happening? Oh, yeah. Because their whole point of coming here, right, was to recruit us for their help in a war that they're going to be fighting and they're going to need our help in. So I'm like, I want the sequel that is an action film yeah. that switches genres and oh goes yeah, in a completely amazing. different direction. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of But kinda you can don't. detach yourself so far from this world that that's I don't true. think it would that's true. ruin it if they screwed it up. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Which is probably way too many ways to screw it that's up. That's <laughs> way too many. <laughs> Because you have this super thoughtful sci-fi movie and then you go like guns blazing, pow, pow, pew, pew. (laughs) Is that how we use those? They can use my, you have my permission. (laughs)
1: Okay, we're going to use that sound bite for all the gunshots. Sorry, laser shots. Lasers, yep. So what was, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What was your favorite part of this movie? Like what, like aspect or part or scene or line or like if
0: if, if you just think about it, like what's the thing that like pops up? That's A really fun question part of me thinks just seeing the uh the writing Mm -hmm. and having that dissected because to me in my head that's all kind of one moment of studying analyzing and then communicating back to them Mm -hmm. that's one kind of continuous moment the other moment that always that usually sticks out in my head is that scene when she's kind of Flashing forward to the future to get the information from the 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 Chinese president or counselor and She's hearing this uh, His story while also holding off everyone at bay and there's all this stuff happening at once and when the guns come out Ian steps up (laughs) Freaking awesome So good without a blink. He just steps in front of the gun. Yeah, she's just she just needs 20 seconds yeah. God, that's cool. That's that's great. <laughs> it's so simple, but that's
1: no, it's so great. It's so great, man. He's he's like he's like, What do you want? What do you want? Like, why are we you know, what are you doing? He has no idea what she's doing, and he doesn't matter. He's gonna sacrifice himself for her. You know, that's yeah, it's a beautiful moment. It's so funny because within that is my favorite moment. Ooh. Within that, while she's on the phone with him or while she's uh, and, and we're cutting to the future and to this conversation on the phone in the present, when we're seeing her in the future, is it the future? Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it is the future. And and is it that she tells him or he tells her... Yeah, he tells her what she tells him. He says it in Mandarin. And we we don't get subtitles for it. We have no idea. So if you... Well, you have to listen close. And if you want to know then you have to translate it. Did you really? Yeah.
0: No way. Yeah.
1: You're going to tell us. Yeah, I am. Oh, I am. Crap. But it's like, it's well, okay. That's even if I did really cool, I kind of, I kind of <laughs> actually don't want to tell you, you know what? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Um, but, but I think that that is such a beautiful thing because the whole, th- this whole thing is about communication. Right. And it's like, he's not going to give you that. You know, if you want to find out, you can go find out, but you, it has to be translated. It has to be like, you have to want to know what that is and you have to like, like go in a search or like you have to, you just have to find it out. You know, it's not given to you, which is like, is the whole meaning of the whole movie, you know, and it's, it's so beautiful. And then to your favorite part where he steps in front of the, he steps up in the window and it's like, you're gonna have to shoot me, you know? I'm so glad that you said that.
0: It's, <laughs> we're on the same page, so man. Cool. It's so cool. It's so cool.
1: Oh. I will say the line is really good. Is and, it- and and so uh one thing that I read while I was doing this, looking for this, when the director was, or no, the writer, not the director, the writer. What was his name? What was his name? His name was Heiserer. 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 When Heiser was writing this. The the actor, whatever what's his name? Jeremy Mariner. No. No, the uh the Chinese guy. Oh, no idea. Okay. Well, he kept asking him, What's the line? What's the line? Because they didn't have the line yet. What does she say to me? What does she say to him? What does she say? And he would he would say, She says this, and he'd say, I love you, man, but that's terrible. You know? Like the, so the he, actor told him. The actor told him that. And so he was like <laughs> Uh, he kept trying or whatever. And then one day he called him, he told him in Mandarin and he, and what the line was. And he said, that's perfect. Wow. And it's really good. <laughs> so any listeners, if you want to know, you're going to have to go look it up, man. That's awesome. To, and I would, I would implore you to actually like, like go watch the scene, yeah. listen to it and don't just Google it, you know, like, like what is Oh, what does that mean? You know, just try to find it out in some, some fun way i know none of you are going to do that you're going to all google it and that's fine that's totally cool because then you're still you know putting in effort yeah that's true yeah any final thoughts i just love it i I think it's a beautiful beautiful story it's so well done well told well acted well written and uh, i I loved it i could watch it again now yeah same yeah
0: it's so freaking
1: good yeah what are you going to recommend this week Ah, this week. Um, oh, I had it up. What am I going to... I'm going to... Okay, another kind of sci-fi movie about aliens, but a much more fun one. I'm going to recommend Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Nice! Uh, it just never really gets old. It's kind of a cult classic yeah. at this point,
0: and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Dude, well done. Yeah. I'm going to recommend a book. It's I've previously recommended Ender's Game. Yes. And this is going to be... This is the follow-up book. Called Speaker for the Dead. And so if you really enjoyed this kind of brainy take on aliens and how to interact with them, this is instead of linguistics, this is uh, an anthropological look at communicating and and dealing with another species. And I just was floored because Ender's Game is one type of book and movie, uh, which I think the movie does a really good job of echoing the book. And then it completely goes... Imagine watching Ender's Game and then the sequel is Arrival. You're like, oh, this is very different. Wow. <laughs> and that's kind of the analogy. Um, and so I, it's a great book if you're a reader. I don't think you necessarily need to read Ender's Game. I'm sure it'll help. <laughs> oh, yeah. But at a minimum, watch the movie and, and then read the book. Awesome. Yeah. So... Stay tuned. <laughs> no. Uh, we are introducing a new segment this week called The Short Spotlight. And so uh, Todd found a really good short film. We're going to embed it in the uh, show notes at thepestlepodcast.com slash arrival. And every week, hopefully every week, we'll introduce a new short film that uh, we enjoy. I'm going to try to avoid this one was featured on short of the week dot com. I'm going to try to avoid short of the week.com shorts in the future, just because I feel like everyone's aware of these things and um, it's rehashed, but this one is a really good one. And so uh, we're going to, we're going to embed this one. It's called apocalypse now. Now. It's really good.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I just happened to find upon it, and I was like, oh
0: my god, this is well done. It's pretty so, fun. It's fun. Um, so yes, yeah, seven seven and a half minute film. Enjoy it, uh, and stay tuned for next week. We are going to be doing Finding Forrester. That's going to be fun to revisit, dude. I'm so yeah. excited because yeah. we're about to embark on a writing expedition of our own. Yeah. Um, and so I think even if we're not going to learn anything from Finding Forrester on how to write. But I think it's cool inspiration to be like, yeah, sometimes you just need to sit down and uh, hammer out some words. And so, and especially collaborating, I just love this style of film. Like it yeah. just kind of works for me. Yeah, man. Um, so stay tuned for that. And if you want to. Uh, Subscribe and review us on iTunes or Android or uh, Spotify. Whatever. We're on all these things. Yeah. yeah drop us a review. Um, we super appreciate it. Happy. Um, <laughs> that's a great sentence. <laughs> we Sean Connery would not be
1: <laughs> We <laughs> happy very are. Bunch the keys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> <And so laughs> if you want to drop a note on this episode, you can do that at the slash arrival. What do I do with my hands? (laughs) What do I do? Ah.
1: (laughs) I'll leave you with a quote of the day of Wes's choice, uh, which is really good. I really like it by Noam Chomsky. A language is not just words. It's a culture, a tradition, a unification of a community, a whole history that creates what a community is. It's all embodied in a language.
0: Well, well said. Holy hell. Yeah. He's... For, as far as I know, the most famous linguist mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. of all time, or at least in recent memory. Um, not that he's had the greatest influence, but just he's the most known. So if I drop Noam Chomsky on you, you may not know what he's done, but you know his name at a minimum. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, and that just kind of embodied so why it's so important to have a language and how language sets humanity apart from everything else on earth. I'm glad we all like cats and dogs and whatnot. Um, be good to animals as much as you can, but we're a cut above. And I think language is one of the few very specific things that demonstrates that there's a creativity and there's a history that we can create. There's no history of dogs that they're, yeah. you know, telling each other, um, as much as I'm sure they would not like to, they wouldn't remember it yeah, anyway. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it also goes to show how important it is to maintain a language um, it's evolving it's its own you know life form in a way mm-hmm. and slowly we're losing languages and I don't have a overwhelmingly good or bad feeling about that it, I just kind of find it interesting I was reading that there's people in Europe that because of the evolution of like French or some of these Euro languages, Italian. There's kids who speak Italian but can't speak to their grandparents because the flavor of Italian um has completely changed. That was a specific dialect um of French that they no longer speak and so and whatnot. Huh. And so yeah, there's there's history that's kind of being lost in a way because there's certain words that you can say in, I don't know, Mandarin that we don't have a definition for or or at least we don't have a word for those things Um, and it's always interesting if you google like interesting words that we should have in english uh, that's always these weird little niche things like oh there's a word in a Finnish word for i was really full and upset that they fed fed me that much like there's a word for that i don't know if there's a word word. yeah Yeah. i don't know if there's a word for that but you get the general idea and that's just kind of interesting you know that if that language, of Finnish goes away, suddenly you lose this yeah. interesting, you know, contextual uh, tidbit. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. I love language. It, it, <laughs>
1: Do you really love the language or are you just saying that because it's in the room? I love language. Okay. No, it's a great quote, man. That's a great quote. I, I, to- I totally agree. Because only with language can you develop, like, math and science and all those things. Language has to come first. Yeah. Really? Pretty cool. Beautiful. So thank you so much for joining us this week. Man, I had so much fun. Same, man. This was so, so good. So, good. Uh, so again, join us next week. We'll be covering Finding, finding Forrester. Watch, watch it ahead of time so you can uh, listen straight through. Um, and please review us, share us with your friends, and uh, let us know what you'd like to hear. Uh, and until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movie we